things uh, that I'm so grateful to God for is having Pastor John beside me every Sunday for this last almost six years now, guys. Uh, and, and he has a 10-year extension on his contract, so you've got, you've got 10 more to go. Right? And, and, but how closely he and I worked together, almost hand in glove, really. But, you know, the great relationship, the great working relationship that he and I enjoy uh, is not always the case in every church. Uh, that's out there in the world. And when you run into one where the preacher and the praise and worship leader aren't on the same page like uh, with what they're doing, like he and I are, uh, Sunday mornings can become pretty convoluted and confusing. Like this, this one particular Sunday when a preacher that I heard about, uh, who I guess wasn't on the same page with his song leader, he gave this really inspiring message to the congregation about how they should step out in faith and do good works to others. And he turned to sit down only to have the praise and worship leader invite the people to join him in singing, I shall not be moved. <laughs> Next Sunday, the preacher preached on stewardship and how the people should increase their giving uh, only to have the praise leader respond and we'll continue our worship with hymn number 205, Jesus Paid It All. <laughs> and, and it continued like that until the preacher became so disheartened over the whole lack of communication he told the congregation he was considering possibly resigning but before he barely got the words out he noticed that the closing hymn that the worship leader had selected was oh why not tonight <laughs> and it gets worse and when the preacher finally announced his eminent departure the next week he closed his message by saying don't worry about me jesus led me here jesus has taken me away he walked off the stage and the worship leader said, and now the choir will sing what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> now, now, thankfully, that kind of stuff never happens here. <laughs> but, you know, in, in many, many congregations across the country, the praise and worship in churches has become confused instead of convicting. It's become strained instead of soaring. It's become stiff and affected instead of life-altering and soul-stretching. And all too often, it's not as Christ-centered as it is self-centered. Uh, and all of those things, leaving Christians weaker as individual people, uh, ineffective in witnessing to the general populace, and a long way from a united people of God. And I just have just break for one second, Rick, because i got to share this story. Um, Brother Don and, uh, uh, and Doris... Uh, Bob, rather, Bob and Doris, just got back from Pennsylvania. Uh, their church asked them not to come in. They were actually asked to leave because they had traveled uh, from Florida. So they weren't welcome in the sanctuary. They weren't welcome at their picnic. Uh, and the pastor asked you to leave, right, guys? Yeah. Um, that's, not, that's not the family of God, okay? Uh, and, and so what I want to do is I want to take, you know, that same kind of idea that's going on across this country, and I want to speak to those issues uh, through the beautiful lyrics of Psalm 113 that, that breaks down for us the, the who, the where, and the why of our praise and worship and invites us to examine everything that goes into what it is that we're all doing here this morning. And I, I was just heartbroken when I heard that story. But let's go to the word together and so I hope you'll join me in Psalm 113 and the psalmist writes praise the Lord praise all servants of the Lord praise the name of the Lord 
Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of His people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the Lord's word to us today. Let's pray. Father God, your word has been read, coming now to examine it. And so, Lord, we ask you that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit, uh, and bring for us, Father, the message that you would have us to receive through Christ our Lord. Amen. See, this, uh, this particular psalm begins the section of the Psalter that's known as the Hallel. The Hallel. It's one that runs uh, from Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And these Hallel psalms are hymns designed to be sung at the three sacred feasts of the Torah. Uh, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles. The feast that uh, every Jewish male was required to attend annually in Jerusalem and that word Hallel, it simply means praise. And it's where we get the English transliteration of the word hallelujah from. That's where that comes from. It's really just a mashup of, of two Hebrew words, the, the, the verb Hallel, which means to praise, and then the noun Yah, which is abbreviation for Yahweh, God's holy covenant name, which he revealed himself to to Moses. And that gives us uh, the word that not only begins our psalm today, but launches us into the answers of who and where and the why of our praise and worship, uh, which then provides the answer to what exactly it is that we're all doing here uh, and where we're headed in the spiritual realm as well as the physical. You know, as I was reading the other day about a similar just a pastor who kept reminding his congregation that one of the things uh, they needed to be doing was continually thinking about the hereafter and you know after the the service the lady came up to him and he said pastor well, i i do I, I do think about it and all the time no matter where i am uh, in the living room or, or in the kitchen or in the basement i'm always asking myself now what what am i here after <laughs> in fact i did that with shirley this morning i said why did i come in here uh, but we need to do that too right we, we need to be thinking about what it is that we're, we're doing here today, thinking about what it is that you're here after, right? Are, are you here for encouragement? Uh, are you here to feel better about yourself? Are you here to sing songs uh, or to have a time of fellowship? Well, none of those things are wrong, but hopefully the answer to the question of what we are here after is a closer relationship with Jesus Christ and that what we're doing here today is worship. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of debate concerning worship over this the last 25 years or so, uh, as mainline Protestant denominations have, have begun to decline, uh, mega churches and storefront churches seem to be popping up everywhere. And I read this article about that in Christianity Today. It said the, uh, the change to the American church is deeper than just a formality swap. Uh, and this is from the authors of the National Congregational Study. Uh, so instead, of, uh, instead it's a part of a decade-long trend in American religion away from an emphasis on belief and doctrine and moving toward an emphasis on experience, emotion, 
and the search for the least common denominator kind of worship in a time of ever less salient, denominationally specific, liturgical and theological content, which is just a really fancy way to say, in other words, the trend now in the Christian world is come to worship and do whatever you feel like, and when it doesn't feel good anymore, move on. Or maybe even launch a church of your own. And that's why I've said time uh, and time again that you know what we do here in this church, guys, is very countercultural. Uh, just because of the fact that our faith and our worship is so biblically grounded and so traditional. So if you think about it, um, we're really pretty radical here. Uh, we're nonconformists, just like our congregational ancestors have been right from the beginning. And if you remember your church history, you know, after the end of the English Civil War in the 1600s and the restoration of King Charles II, the, the institutional church and the state passed what it called the Act of Conformity. It was po imposed upon every church in the realm, a compulsory form of worship practice mandated to be the state religion of Great Britain. But, you know, rather than comply with the terms of that law, some 2,000 of our spiritual ancestors gave up their churches and their living uh, and became what the English called nonconformists, which turned out to be one of the, really the most decisive events in the history of Protestantism, second only to Luther's 95 Thesis, because the birth of nonconformity in worship was the beginning of the pilgrims move first to Leiden in Holland and then across the ocean to New England, and ultimately the founding of Congregationalism here in America, uh, which really sadly now finds itself under intense persecution yet again, but of a more insidious type because this time it's coming from within. It's coming from those woke pastors and the Evangelical fish that fill their congregations. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a similar push, really, uh, to impose a kind of uniformity upon churches, except this time it's not a formal writ or a decree imposed on us. Rather, it's this hateful hegemony of cancel culture and value shaming from so-called tolerant, self-professed believers seeking to make popular values and really a, a relaxed, no-commitment atmosphere, the basis of the congregational movement. <clears throat> a movement that, that elevates marketing and, and seat-filling and hashtag slogan-tweeting above true Christian worship. Uh, and it may very well be, I'm afraid, that at least for the congregational name, at least for the, the name, it's almost too late. Because, brothers and sisters, of the hundred or so congregational churches that I found listed in Florida, only two Ours and one other has not bowed the knee to the LGBT movement. Wow. Only two. And why is that? Well, our psalm tells us today, because we confess, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, and from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Not our name, not our movement, not, not our cause of the month, but the Lord's name is to be praised. That's the who. And church, that doesn't change with the times. It's from this time forth and forevermore. And any way you measure that phrase, it means the whole earth, every nation, every tribe, every age, every culture, every level of creation, the whole earth is to praise the Lord. But even more personal than that, it's to be the central movement of our daily lives from sunup to sundown. In other words, at all times and in all of our daily circumstances, meaning we praise Him for the trials and the tribulations 
as well as the triumphs and the times of refreshing. Whether you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley of the shadow, because since our praise is directed toward God and it's based on who He is and His attributes and His works, it's got nothing to do with our feelings. Right? But we need to praise God continually whether we feel like it or not. In good times and bad times, in fair weather and foul weather, for better or worse, in health and sickness, moment by moment, all through each and every day. Because, you know, as I've said over and over again in Sunday school and Bible study, we need to be not just a people who meet once a week to worship, but a group of daily worshipers at home who meet once a week to worship together as a family in church. Right? Did you catch that? We need to, to be not just a people who meet once a week to worship, but a group of daily worshipers in our homes who meet once a week to worship together as a family in church while remembering that we don't have to wait for a specific where and when to do it. Right? You don't have to wait till 10 o'clock Sunday morning to worship Jesus. Our worship is not limited to a certain time or location, but rather we're to be a people committed to worshiping the Lord Monday through Saturday without failing to recognize the priority of assembling ourselves together on the Lord's Day which is really a point not to miss here in Psalm 113. If you look at the words, remember it's designed to be sung in corporate worship. And it's addressed to a group. It's addressed to the servants of the Lord, right? Not servant. And it asks, who is like the Lord our God, who reaches out to needy people and seeks them in high places and gives them a community with us coming together as brothers and sisters the children of Christ the bridegroom, extending his hands and feet through his bride, the church, making us collectively like a, a mother of a large family, a family that acknowledges that individual worship is vital, but that we can't neglect God's clear call to worship together. And that, that true congregational worship is, is more than just individuals having a time of devotion together in the same place. But it's the body of Christ gathered from diversity into unity to center on our heavenly king uh, and re remember too worship is not just singing it, it's not just what what pastor john and i call the Seven Eleven songs right you know where you sing the same seven words over 11 times right uh, and worship is not just about lifting your hands or, or saying amen and, and worship is not just about what you place in the offering plate it's not just about volunteering for church outreach. And yes, those, those may be acts or expressions of worship, but they don't define what true worship really is. And so you say, well, Pastor, well, what is it? And well, for me, William Temple gives the best definition I've read, and this is what he wrote. He said, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It's the quickening of the conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of our mind with His truth. It's the purifying of our imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love. It's the surrender of our will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration. Right. See, true worship, in other words, is defined by the emphasis we place on who God is in our lives and on where God is in our list of priorities, uh, allowing the individual to become a covenant people worshiping together in one accord individually and collectively in the presence of Jesus Christ, becoming the gathered church that's equipped to then be safely and strategically scattered back out through the world when we go back to our homes 
and to our neighbors with the message of what Christ has done in and for us. That he's forgiven all of our sins. That he's rescued us from hell. That he's adopted us and we are now children of God. That he's given us a personal relationship with him and made us joint heirs with Jesus and given us the promise of eternal life along with every other spiritual blessing in Christ. Right? Paul tells us that in Ephesians. And when he writes that, it's not just, not just one blessing. And it's not just a few or, or many or, or even most, but all, all possible spiritual blessings secured with, as Psalm 113 tells us, the Lord who is high above all nations and whose glory is above the heavens and providing all that is needed for salvation and sanctification and Christian service. And all of that done from a place of gratitude for all that he has done for us. Which, of course, is the foundational attitude of a person desiring to worship. Because, church, true worship arises from a heart of gratitude. And I know for myself, when I think of all that Jesus has done for me, I feel pretty grateful. How about you? For just the mountains of undeserved favor he has given me and my family. But more than all of that, for the incredible sacrifice that he made on my behalf. You know, Charles Spurgeon, the famous 19th century English preacher, said, Praise is the rent which God requires for the use of his mercies. Right? Praise is the rent which God requires for the use of his mercies. He's saying praise ought to have a prominent place in our lives. Unbelievers who continually praise the Lord pay their rent, and those who don't are robbing God. And it's not only something due to God, but it's also something that's beneficial to our souls, most especially through the proclamation of the gospel. And that message, that good news ought to permeate uh, every piece of our worship service because genuine worship depends, and we talked about this in Sunday school, on the spiritual miracle of the new birth inside of us. On being born again, and, and that only happens through the Word because as Romans ten seventeen tells us, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. And church, God's Word is always relevant no matter when or where you live or what you are specifically going through in your life because without the exposition of the living word what in the world are we here after right reformed pastor and teacher chad bird says we are of no use to this world if all we do is ape the rhetoric and antics and actions of the world so the church is a unique community with a unique message heard nowhere else it's heard nowhere else there's no place else but the Bible will tell you that we are all called to repentance no matter your skin color or your sex or your political affiliation or any other factor. For the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And church, on that truth, the Bible takes no prisoners. It makes no exceptions. If you are a human, you are a part of the problem to which you yourself can offer no solution. But here we get the privilege together to proclaim what that solution is as the apex of our time together each week to tell about Jesus who's God in the flesh he's the solution because in his perfect humanity and his undiminished deity our imperfections are perfectly purified and made fit to appear before the majesty of the throne in heaven because when we come together to worship him who is the why of our existence we do well to remember that we are his audience right? and not the other way around so we're the ones on display not only in the physical realm but in the spiritual and guys whether you know it or not uh, you are in the midst of a spiritual battle 
Pastor, Pastor Bird continues, he said, we're in the midst of a spiritual battle in 2020. Uh, unseen forces and malicious angelic powers are manipulating sinners of all kinds to do their bidding. We delude ourselves, he said, if we suppose that what plays out in our streets or on our social media feeds is a mere human conflict. It is not. Revelation reveals, not to mention the entirety of the Old Testament, that human history is the battlefield of the sacred and sinister powers in this world. Uh, and there's no DMZ. Every morning we rise to serve on the front lines. And you can only hope to do that. You can only hope to survive this conflict and avoid becoming a spiritual casualty uh, if you have a vital connection with Christ in prayer and in praise and in worship that's taken up by the Holy Spirit and offered to God the Father. And Bird continues his, his quote. He says, uh, we're not to be the church of Chicken Little, but to be the church of Jesus Christ. And more than ever, against the cacophony of craziness, he says it, it is the time for the church to focus on the voice of Jesus and to do the same things he's been telling the church to do from the beginning. To go and make disciples. To baptize like we're going to do next week. And to know that he is with us as a mighty warrior strong to save. And, and church, if we begin to not just babble about churchy sounding things and empty business and live like we really believe that, then our worship services here could help change not just this city, but the whole culture all around us. And not just with ecstatic emotionalism or, or flashing lights or spinning globes, uh, fog machines, or fancy coffee bar in the lobby, but with a people on fire for Jesus Christ. I love how Charles Wesley puts it. He said, let the church catch on fire with enthusiasm and people will come for miles to watch you burn. Because in the final analysis, it's not how big the physical church is, but how big the Lord of the church is in his people. And so, guys, how big is the church in you? Uh, how big is Christ's worship in you? Uh, and who are you really offering it to? How big is the praise that you bring, and how often are you bringing it? Uh, how big is the need that you came here after today? And do you know the only one who can fill it? Because if you do, together with the saints of every time and place, we can say with peace in our minds, with courage, in our hearts and with worship on our lips, the sweet lyrics of Psalm 113, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Will you pray with me? Now, Lord, we do praise you. We praise and thank you for the gift and the mercy that you brought us in Jesus Christ, your word made flesh. We thank you, Lord, that... Uh, though we don't deserve it and we can't earn it, that you give us this undeserved favor. And so be with us, Lord, as we go back out into the world. Uh, take this message with us to whomever we meet and, and let your kingdom expand. And Father, if there's even one here this morning or under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I ask that you would uh, just surprise them by the reality of your presence, uh, that you would grab a hold of their heart, you would take out that heart uh, of stone and replace it with a heart bent toward you. And so, Father, we thank you. Uh, for all that you have done for us in the service and all that you're going to do for us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.